today, it's uh, October 2nd, the morning of the harvest moon. It was the harvest moon last night. Do you know what the harvest moon is? It's the full moon closest to the equinox, the fall equinox. So we were out running on Lake Mendota this morning, and as we were driving over, we saw the beautiful moon. Wasn't even sure it was the full moon. You know, it could be the waning gibbous 99% visible moon, which is what we're going to get tonight. But last night was indeed the full moon. So what's left of the moon in the morning is, I take it, the, still the full moon, still the harvest moon. Well, we heard some interesting birds out at dawn on Lake Mendota, and I just put up a post, a new bird song at dawn on Lake Mendota today. Can you tell me what it is? And uh, listen. You hear that? Yeah, anyway, that's not an, don't, don't identify my little attempt to imitate the bird. You have to go to the video, to the blog look at the video, play the video. Anyway, uh, it's soft. The sound of the bird is soft but clear at the beginning of this video, which scans the same expanse seen in the rainbow panorama two days ago. And there's a link on the blog. You can see I took a panorama picture of the same view where I go to see the sunrise. And a lot of people like that panorama. It had a, an interesting light that looked very much like some uh, romantic uh, painting from the 19th century. People were comparing it to various artists and giving me credit for something that was just actually in nature that I happened to be there to, to catch and to realize would be a good panorama. But today I took a video that scanned the same space. And I mostly took the video because I wanted to get that bird song. Maybe you could help me identify it. And um, uh, do notice the moon at the beginning of the video. I'll give you a still for reference. So I've got a picture of the moon. It does not look yellow to the naked eye. It did not look yellow to the naked eye. It looked white. It is a full moon. It's the harvest moon. Overheard at Meat House. You don't mind if I have your voice in this video. I don't know. What was I saying? Oh, nothing. Rah! It was an unusual Mead song. The rah was some kind of bird-like unusual sound. Anyway, I forget what we say in the video, but there's a little bit of us talking toward the end of the video. Not at the beginning of the video. At the beginning of the video, it's your chance to hear the unusual mead song. I mean, <laughs> bird song. Anyway, I woke up this morning, looked at the iPhone, and saw the shocking news that um, Trump tests positive for first, for, for corona, Trump and the first lady. Trump tests positive for the coronavirus. That's the New York Times headline with a subheadline. The president's result came after he spent months playing down the severity of the outbreak that has killed more than 207,000 in the United States and hours after insisting that the end of the pandemic is in sight. And I said, when did this begin? Was he sick at the debate? I thought he looked weary and his performance was off. He seemed underpowered at his Minnesota rally the next day. Did he expose Joe Biden? Both Trump and Joe have extra vulnerability. Trump is, Joe is older. Trump is uh, more overweight. I mean, I don't think Joe Biden is overweight at all. He looks fairly fit, but Trump looks really out of shape. Uh, I just uh, don't think he would do well if he got sick, but maybe as the asymptomatic kind, who knows? 
and uh, Trump is also over 70. He's got the vulnerability and the age, but he's got the, uh, the big weight, which I suspect is a big part of what makes the, uh, the really adverse uh, uh, consequence of the disease, if you get it symptomatically. But maybe he doesn't have it symptomatically. symptomatically. Can we stop talking about what Trump failed to say exactly right about white supremacy at the debate? That was already overplayed. Yeah, I was getting uh, tired. I, I mean, the day after the debate, I wrote about it after listening to it and reading the transcript, and I was interested in the subject of how he handled that question about white supremacy. But it was made such a big deal of in the press. He didn't. He he denounced white supremacy. He said sure twice, or was it three times? But then he didn't say it emphatically enough. They're going to go on for two days about how he didn't say. He was against white supremacy emphatically enough or in exactly the right way. You know, I think they overdid it, which made it seem like they were being overprotective of Joe Biden. And um, also that they were just uh, desperate to find something to, to say against Trump and to make race the central issue and to make the fact that the right wing is worse than the left wing the central issue. Trump's theme during the debate was that the left wing was worse and he really pushed that hard. So it seemed like the commentators were trying to beat that back and get it to be about how the right wing is racist, not that the left wing is given to violence in its outrage about racism. Anyway, maybe that's all overshadowed now, and we'll just be back to the coronavirus, which actually had been a big topic in September. It seemed to be the issue that Biden had wanted to forefront. So Biden has an opportunity to forefront coronavirus again. Um, we'll see how that works out today. Now, the VP debate next week looms large. We've been talking about how Kamala Harris is perhaps secretly the real presidential candidate, and now we can say the same thing about Mike Pence. So it's almost like next week's debate is the presidential uh, uh, debate. Maybe, uh, maybe Trump will withdraw. I mean, if Trump is looking at the polls and really believes he's going to do badly and know that he missed an opportunity to shift opinion in that debate, if that opportunity genuinely existed, if it could have been done, he knows already that he didn't do it. The betting odds have vastly diverged. Uh, Trump could uh, say that he's uh, far too sick, withdraw from the whole thing, and uh, maybe uh, Pence could be the candidate. When I first had that thought this morning, I said, uh, I said, Pence, he's, he's clean, he's articulate. And then I realized I had said the the old Biden line about uh, Barack Obama back before Obama had the nomination and uh, picked uh, Biden as his VP, uh, Biden had promoted Obama saying he's clean and articulate. It's storybook, man. So now it's a strange news storybook in which uh, Trump has the COVID-19 and maybe Pence could step into the role of presidential candidate. They've worked so hard at running Trump down as a person, as someone with various unpleasant personal characteristics. Pence doesn't have any of that. If Pence could suddenly be the candidate, Trump having the disease is a perfect excuse to swap in a new candidate when you can see that your guy isn't uh, has been uh, uh, destroyed in advance of the election. The fact that a lot of people have already voted in the election is a problem, and you can't change the ballots now, so I'm not even sure how you could do that if Trump uh, were to uh, withdraw. How could that even be pulled off? Would people even understand, or would they say it's a scam? 
I'm trying to just read my uh, my posts this morning, is uh, which is my uh, idea for this podcast. But now I've put all this extra stuff in. You can see there's something in the podcast that's not on the blog. I'm just jumping off the blog. But I'm also kind of proofreading the blog. I hate to leave errors in the blog. Okay, the next post is uh, on a different subject. It's not all about Trump and the coronavirus this morning. And it's not all about the harvest moon either, or bird songs, or meat songs. So this post is a quote from Yasha Monk. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but he's someone I follow on Twitter. I actually forget who he is, but I do follow him on Twitter. Well, I can easily click on this and tell, tell you who he is. I don't want to be disrespectful to him. He's the founder of Join Persuasion, associate professor SA, uh, at uh, John Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, contributing editor to The Atlantic. Okay, so I follow him. He's the author of a book called, um, what was that book? The People versus Democracy, Why Our Freedom is in Danger and How to Save It. All right. Sounds like a good idea. A little generic. I don't know where he is politically, and I don't know if it matters for this purposes. But uh, he says, um, uh, in this tweet I saw this morning, holy S asterisk asterisk T, that's hard to say, over the course of three years, the number of Americans who say they feel justified in using violence to achieve their political goals has gone up from 8% to over 33%. And he's got a graph showing this. Uh, the question asked was, how much do you feel it is justified for your party to use violence in advancing political goals? Options never justified, a little, a moderate ma- amount, a lot, and a great deal. And... Uh, we can see, and, and I, I'm not sure if uh, the justified are the, are, is collecting all the answers other than never. Percentage, oh no, here it says, percentage answering yes. Yeah, uh, if, you, if you have any of the positive ones, a little, a moderate amount, a lot, and a great deal are all grouped together. So the, the uh, 33% is the ones that don't say never. Uh, you know, well, you know, this is about interpreting the question. If you think the American Revolution was worth doing, you shouldn't say never. So I think this is a junk question. I don't know. It does sound like everybody's ready to take to the streets and join the people who are sledgehammering shop windows and looting and uh, shooting police officers as they sit in their cars. Um, this this could be when is it ever right to have a revolution? I don't. I, I'm surprised that uh, a two thirds majority is saying never. So, what what's with the holy shit response from Yasha Monk? I don't know. I'm uh, thinking more about this post. I I'm, uh, I don't think it's as dire, uh, shocking a development as you might uh, initially think. Okay, the next uh, post is. I put up a a tweet by Jennifer Rubin, who's the Washington Post columnist who claims to be a conservative but is just rabidly against uh, Trump and uh, is just a big anti-Trump columnist as far as I'm concerned, but uh, she does technically identify as a conservative. You can do that. It's easy to say there's nothing conservative about Trump. That's not what conservatism is. 
entitled to say that, to define conservatism. But that's Jennifer Rubin, and she has a short, uh, a four-word tweet, which is obviously a response to the news that Trump has coronavirus, and it says he should resign immediately. And I said, this is hate speech against the disabled, the idea that if you have something physically wrong with you, you can't do your job. And I seriously mean that. The idea that he should resign because he tested positive for coronavirus, you have to apply the same principle to everyone. Someone has an illness, someone has something wrong with them. The idea that they can't work, they need to be consigned to the just disabled category and sit idle. Now, possibly, and actually now that I think of it, probably, Ruben has some extra thought behind that. It's not just that people with coronavirus can't be president. It's that, or that there's a special rule for Trump. I'm not willing to apply it to all the people who are as disabled as that. It's a special rule for Trump because I just don't like him. The theory could be something like, because Trump mismanaged the coronavirus, the nation's response to the coronavirus, the fact that he got it is uh, showing how wrong he was, underscoring it. It's just the ultimate uh, revelation that he's doing everything wrong because he got it, and he should resign for his mishandling of the coronavirus. I'm going to say she probably would say that if she could be challenged by my point, which is don't, don't consign the disabled to joblessness. Disabled people can work too. There are some disabilities that go beyond your capacity to work, but we shouldn't be eager to uh, demobilize the, the disabled. The next post is, if Trump and Pence both got sick, it's not clear who would be president. President Pelosi invoking the Sec Su Succession Act would lead to chaos. That's the headline on a May 20th, 2020 WAPO article by law prof Sanford V. Levinson, which is getting tweeted about this morning as there's a lot of wild talk this morning. I shouldn't say this morning twice. I'm going to edit that out. There's a lot of wild talk about Nancy Pelosi becoming the first woman president laterally. That is, breaking not the glass ceiling, but opening the glass window that never had a working lock anyway. It's good to have a somber, thoughtful, professional analysis standing by. Now here's Sanford Levinson from last May. Should only the president become ill, the vice president can take over following the protocol laid out in the 25th Amendment. But if the vice president becomes incapacitated as well, then we could face a constitutional crisis. It would be triggered by the inadequacies of the Presidential Succession Act passed in 1947, when there was no vice president because Harry Truman had succeeded Franklin D. Roosevelt. Under its rules, the Speaker of the House and the President pro tempore of the Senate would be next in line of succession, followed by the the members of the cabinet, beginning with the Secretary of State. Until, the, until 1947, succession had passed through the cabinet. Congress added the Speaker and President pro tem on the grounds that the President should desirably be an elected official, even if not part of the executive branch. This might make sense in theory, but it could be truly terrible in practice. Should both both Pence and Trump be unable to serve, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat of California, would become president under the act. 
handling the White House, handing the White House to a different party without an election. Should she be unable or unwilling to serve, then the office would go to Senator Charles E. Grassley, Republican of Iowa. Any effort to transfer power from Trump and Pence to Pelosi would surely inspire legal and political challenges, adding to chaos at precisely the moment the nation desperately needed stability. And I said, why? The act clearly designates Pelosi as next in line. Is Levinson saying that the Succession Act could be challenged as unconstitutional? He notes that Article 2 of the Constitution gives Congress the power to provide for the case of removal, death, resignation, or inability, both of the president and vice president, declaring what officer should then act as president. And now this is Levinson again. It is difficult to imagine that Trump would deny and denounce as fake news any suggestion that he lacks the ability, in the words of Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution, to discharge the powers and duties of the presidency. And then I said, that is, can the Succession Act apply? Congress has the power to provide for succession, but what is the scope of that power? You need an interpretation of the word inability. The 25th Amendment is relevant to the question whether the president is unable, but what if both the president and the vice president become deathly ill? Who says that there's inability when the effect would be to trigger the Succession Act and bring in the Speaker of the House from the opposing party? Levinson says, the Succession Act, first of all, bespeaks a simplistic theory of democratic legitimacy that ignores the prominent role that political parties, which have grown far more polarized since 1947, play in the American system. And I said, Pelosi might not even want the job because it would require her to resign from her position in Congress, only to serve out a presidential term that ends in January. And what about Grassley? He's 86. Maybe he knows that while he's okay hanging on as a senator, he doesn't belong in the presidency. And then back to Professor Levinson. There's also a serious arg argument first laid out by Yale Law School professor Akhil Reed Amar and his brother Vikram Amar, now dean of the University of Illinois College of Law, in a 1995 essay in the Stanford Law Review that the Succession Act is unconstitutional. Article 2 specifically says that Congress, in setting rules of succession, must select an officer as a replacement for the president and vice president. Members of Congress, the argument goes, are not officers because they are elected officials and not presidential appointees. Another legal argument holds that the incompatibility clause does not apply if a member of Congress were to serve as president or vice president because officers refer to people appointed by the president, not to the chief executive position itself. Under that interpretation, Pelosi could retain her legislative office if the act were upheld as constitutional. Well, that seems crazy, doesn't it? The idea that the president could also be Speaker of the House? I don't like that legal argument. I would have elided that from the quote if I had thought a little more. That's, a, that's, the, that's the problem of why Pelosi would need to retire, re, retire re, resign from the House to take the position of president under the Succession Act. But there's an argument that she wouldn't even need to do it. But uh, if she doesn't need to do that, 
then it seems like the Succession Act would be beyond the power of Congress to designate her as the one that could do that. That's a little parrot, you know, complication in there. I don't see how the act is constitutional if she doesn't need to resign. Back to Levinson. To put it mildly, it is hard to imagine these questions being litigated in real time should Republicans try to prevent Pelosi from taking office or should she try to serve as president and speaker simultaneously? And I said, how would this play out? I assume there would be a tremendous resistance to getting to the point of saying both the president and vice president suffer from inability. But here's an idea. The president could resign before things go too far and then that and that would make Pence, president, and empower him to pick a vice president. That would go haywire, however, because the appointment of a new vice president under the 25th Amendment requires a majority vote of both houses of Congress. Or do you think Democrats, for the good of the country, would confirm Pence's choice if Pence, too, is ailing and approaching inability? That's the idea that this new extra person that we don't even know yet could become president quite quickly. Trump resigns because he's unable. Pence becomes president and picks the next vice president. That person is confirmed and is vice president. And then Pence becomes unable. And this new vice president person uh, uses the 25th Amendment and uh, declares that Pence is uh, uh, unable to serve as president. And then this person, who would it be? Uh, who could this be, this person that uh, that the uh, both houses of Congress could vote a majority to approve. Who would who could Pence pick? At first I thought the ideal person that everyone could agree on could finish the presidency until January would be Mitt Romney. But then I thought, well Mitt Romney's a senator. Why would he wanna he probably wouldn't want to resign his position as senator in order to take over. Or yeah, actually when I think of Mitt Romney, he probably would step up and do what was asked. He would do it for the good of the country. The other alternative I thought of uh, if that uh desire to hold on to the positions you currently hold is dominant would be um, Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan doesn't, uh, isn't in Congress anymore, and he's vetted, and he seems very clean and uh, moderate and would handle the job uh, well. So that's, uh, that's my, if you want to uh, take bets, uh, put money now on the idea that by the end of the year, the president will be Paul Ryan. Okay. I also think uh, Mitt Romney is an acceptable bet. But, you know, this is all inappropriate to even be talking about because I'm suggesting that uh, certain people who are not currently terribly ill will become terribly ill, and I, I don't wish that on anybody, so I don't want to talk about that. I hear you sighing in the background. 85 to 90% of people in Trump's Democrat 70 years old, yeah. older, even overweight, do not get seriously ill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They test positive, and then they don't get seriously Okay, ill. so a 15, we're not even talking about him dying, just becoming 10, in, in, unable to perform the job. And I would just say that a 15% chance of something happening is worth thinking about. 10, 15%. I would be pretty alarmed to think I had a 15% chance of having serious well, you, disabled you, you, uh, you tend to get alarmed. Also, the country needs someone to be president, so uh, a chance that small is a very substantial chance 
that needs to be taken seriously. Also, it's worth well, using the occasion to examine what's not right about the laws that apply the succession. And that's the last paragraph here is, whatever happens this time around, we should see the problem with the Succession Act. I think Levinson is right to propose, as he does, that we return to the line of succession that puts the Secretary of State after the Vice President. That's what it was before 1947. They went to the cabinet beginning with the, with the Secretary of State. By the way, Mike Pence and Karen Pence uh, just tested negative. Oh, Mike Pence tested negative, so uh, late-breaking news. That's, that's good to hear, and I hope it does stay simple. I don't like these complicated things, and I really hope that we can just get a clear vote when Election Day comes, a clear result, and, uh, and, and get to that. I hope uh, Trump and Pence stay healthy enough to finish their term in uh, a way that isn't disrupt and, and that this extra disruption doesn't occur, and I hope we can focus on getting a clean election, a good election, and I hope the outcome, the thing that I hope the most is that there's a very clear outcome and everybody can accept reality, whether they like the outcome or not. So let's see what there was after the harvest moon morning post where I let you know about the early um, the early part of this podcast. I did say I was going to update the same episode when there are additional posts. Someone in the comments said, no, you should just make a new episode. But I'm just going to quickly add the rest of the additional posts to the same post, maybe maybe some other time, I'll do it the other way. But I don't like the idea of more than one podcast per day. So after I had put up this, um, the this podcast, the original part of the podcast that you see, Harvest Moon Morning, it was uh, eight thirty one a.m. And after that, I put up a post about uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's new movie where it was revealed that he was the Trump impersonator who interrupted Vice President Mike Pence during his speech at CPAC earlier this year. So and I give you the little trailer for that movie. I don't know if you think that that's good. I remember in the comments there was some discussion of whether he was um, mocking country folk who offer him hospitality. And I said in the comments, as in the first Borat movie, much of what he is showing is how patient, kind, and tolerant Americans are to an outsider. If Cohen's idea is that they are stupid, he doesn't prove it. You can't tell if they don't notice he's making things sexual and racist and inappropriate, or that they're actively ignoring it because they think he's from a different country and perhaps uneducated and or unintelligent. So um, I do think he thinks he's proving something about the uh, the non-urban Americans, but I don't really think that he is. It doesn't really prove it because I think they're being kind to him. But to some extent, he is demonstrating that they are kind and giving them their room to be kind to him and to... Well, maybe we shouldn't be kind to people who are saying outright racist and sexual things and being uh, inappropriate. Maybe we should call them out in real time, but most people don't. Most people 
keep their mouth shut and don't want to judge. And it actually is a good approach to uh, say less and give people room to express themselves. You don't have to start condemning people immediately. You could be wrong. The next post was, we've kept quiet and waited patiently, and now what we expected to hear is announced. The Wisconsin State Journal reports, the Madison police announced Friday morning that they were not able to corroborate allegations made by a Madison woman that she was burned by four white men in downtown Madison in June in what was initially reported as a hate crime. Althea Bernstein, 18, of Monona, told police she had a lighter fluid sprayed on her and was set on fire on June 24th by four white men after one of them yelled a racial epithet. But in a statement Friday morning, Madison police said it is closing the investigation into this case. After an exhaustive probe, detectives and detectives were unable to corroborate or locate evidence consistent with what was reported. You know, they had they had cameras on all the intersections involved and they photographed her car going through those intersections and nothing happened in the intersections. The car just drove through. There are many photographs. It's surprising how many surveillance cameras there are. Maybe once people learn that there are surveillance cameras everywhere, they'll, they'll stop, uh, stop committing crimes, stop uh, alleging that crimes have been committed when they've not. But uh, we do have those cameras. And the U.S. Attorney's Office and the U.S. Department of Justice Civil Rights Division, which also investigated, came to the same conclusion. When I dug up what I'd said in August, I asked, couldn't the police just tell us whether there is continual camera footage for all the intersections crossing State Street and whether there's an image of her car when it crossed State Street? Shouldn't that be easy? She's clear that it happened crossing State Street. In Madison, crossing State Street is very obvious. You know when you're there. And she said that's where it happened. Shouldn't the police at least be able to tell us that something or nothing happened as the car crossed State Street? Or alternatively, that there is no footage of the car crossing State Street? This story was such a big deal at the time and it stirred people up about racial hatred. It's important to get the truth out so we can feel relieved or wary, depending on the evidence. That's what I said in mid-August, and now we, we have the final report. And I said, writing that almost two months after the incident, I essentially knew the answer to my questions. The police and the federal agencies had nothing to say because they were on track to say they'd found nothing. They waited until they could announce, announce that they were closing the investigation. I'm very happy to hear that this incident did not happen. It never sounded plausible to me, and it's sad that it seemed to a lot of people, including Prince Harry, that, like the way things go in America. The Madison police statement talked about how uh, the victim, the victim, they called her the victim, even as they were saying that there was no evidence that she was a victim. The victim was treated with dignity and respect at all times during the course of this investigation. They want you to know the police department is committed to thoroughly investigating alleged hate crimes and holding offenders accountable. And then I reminded people that the story got huge national attention. I give you the clip from when she was on Good Morning America with uh, George Stephanopoulos. 
and I wondered if uh, the resolution of the case will get anything like the attention that was given in the original report. And then I also give you the video clip from Entertainment Tonight, headlined, Meghan Markle personally calls alleged hate crime victim Althea Bernstein. So she got her call from Meghan Markle. Yep. So that, that happened. And then uh, what else do we have? That was kind of the big story of the afternoon. The rest of the things are are a couple of light pieces. Uh, one shows Jim Carrey in his makeup for playing Joe Biden, which will be on Saturday Night Live tomorrow. So you might be interested in seeing that, how that works. Jim Carrey as Joe Biden. Is that interesting to you? Maybe it is. And then I have a post where somebody wrote uh, a tweet. Just woke up now, and wow, huge news. And of course, the joke is that the huge news when we woke up this morning was looking and seeing that Donald Trump had the COVID virus. But uh, the joke here is, just woke up, and wow, huge news. The story she links to is emu running loose through Massachusetts City, lured with pear. An animal control officer in Massachusetts was called out for a situation that was a first for her city, an emu on the loops. Nice picture of the emu in the Massachusetts street. And apparently it was uh, caught by uh, luring it with a pear. thought that was interesting. And then we got this name-changing story about uh, Jeremy Ryan, who's changing his middle, wants to change his middle name to a, a uh, famously dirty word, one of the dirty words on the George Carlin uh, list of seven dirty words. I'm not going to say it out loud because uh, this doesn't deserve the attention I'm giving it, but mm, we've been following uh, the Jeremy Ryan enough to have a tag for him. He's a character from the, um, from the Wisconsin Capitol protests. Unless this particular person filing for the name change is someone else with that name, I don't really know for sure, so whatever, one way or the other, I wanted to put that post up just to memorialize that uh, someone wanted a, one of the most famous uh, dirty words, the one that can be abbreviated MF as his middle name. Then I have a post watching, this is, I put this up at 5.11 as I was watching the TV, the whole thing with the tele helicopter waiting for um, Trump to take Trump a little ways away from the White House over to Walter Reed Hospital. Watching the helicopter in front of the White House, waiting for Trump, waiting to take Trump to Walter Reed Medical Center. Lots of speculation from the TV talking heads. Will Trump walk to the helicopter? Will he speak? Why hasn't he communicated all day? How sick must he be? What's this experimental drug? There's a lot of t talking jibber-jabber on TV for a long time just showing the helicopter. In the end, he did walk out. He didn't stop to talk to the press, but he did release a little video that he'd taken inside the White House saying that he was touched by uh, the things people were saying about him. And you know, really, he, did, he got a lot of uh, pretty generous press today and all the mean things that would have been said if he hadn't been sick were not said. Who could imagine all the unsaid things? I mean, we would have been spending the whole day talking about... Uh, Maybe Melania saying uh, she didn't appreciate uh, being put on the duty to uh, step, uh, get the right Christmas decorations in the White House. She wanted to be more important, more substantive, and I guess that would have been treated like uh, she actually hated Christmas, the war on Christmas by the First Lady. We were spared that, spared contemplating how your 
your friends, your your erstwhile friends might record you and then embarrass you by releasing the tapes. And then just a few moments ago, I ended the blog for the day by putting up a photograph of the lake at sunrise, the Sunrise Cafe. And, uh, you know, you can leave uh, messages on this podcast. There's a way to do that. If you can figure it out, you can actually leave a recorded comment. And maybe I'll put the your recording up on a, on a uh, one of the podcasts if uh, if it's good. Uh, but you could also respond by writing, and you can write whatever you like in this uh, in this sunrise cafe.